0: Hi, I'm Megan Hyatt Miller, and this is Lead to Win. My dad and I are on sabbatical for the month of July. For this month, we've handpicked a few of the most popular episodes of the podcast for you to enjoy. Each week, another favorite. So sit back and enjoy this encore episode, and we'll be back with more great content in August.
1: Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com.
0: Abigail and John Adams.
2: Jackie and Rachel Robinson.
0: Margaret and Dennis Thatcher.
2: Isabella and Ferdinand.
0: Victoria and Albert.
2: John and June Carter Cash.
0: Marie and Pierre Curry.
2: Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan.
0: Bill and Melinda Gates.
2: Bonnie and Clyde.
0: Uh, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> then how about Fyodor Dostoevsky and Anna Snitkina? The famous novelist who wrote The Brothers Karamazov in Crime and Punishment was in deep water. I'm talking up to his eyeballs in debt. Worse, after putting the rights to his works in Hawk in exchange for a new novel, Dostoevsky had only a month to finish the book and couldn't make any progress. So, in desperation, he called for a stenographer, and it was Anna who answered the call.
0: The pair met every day for several hours, and in less than four weeks, they completed Dostoevsky's new novel, The Gambler. It was an amazing accomplishment. But writing wasn't all they were up to. Fyodor and Anna talked as they worked and began a deep friendship, so deep that Fyodor proposed to Anna shortly after they finished the novel. Anna said yes, and the two lived together 14 years before Fyodor passed away.
2: While Fyodor was alive and long after, Anna helped him solidify his ragtag publishing business. As Maria Popova tells it, Anna studied the book market meticulously, researched the best vendors in the country, negotiated with art directors, and masterminded a distribution plan. Soon, Dostoevsky was a national brand. Today, says Popova, many consider Anna the first Russian female publisher and the first Russian businesswoman.
0: As Fyodor and Anna show, along with all the other names we mentioned, when couples pursue life together, they can accomplish far more than they might on their own. Maybe even Bonnie and Clyde. I uh, know. <laughs> Dostoevsky was a brilliant novelist, but he was a terrible businessman with holes for pockets. Anna enabled him to live up to his
2: full potential. And Fyodor helped Anna live up to hers. That's a possibility for all of us. Research shows married people are happier, healthier, and wealthier than single people. Now, I'm sure there's research on unmarried achievement, but that's not what we're talking about here today. When we pair historical examples with the findings of social science, it's clear that a good marriage is an optimal environment for personal achievement. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt.
0: And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller.
2: And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we're going to explore how couples can work together to achieve their most important goals.
0: You know, dad, uh, as you mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about goal achievement today for couples. I am really excited about this topic.
2: I'm excited about this too, because honestly, this can be an impediment for a lot of people in setting goals Mm -hmm. because maybe they've got one of the partners is really an achiever and the other one feels intimidated by that. So they don't even try.
0: Like you could maybe relate to this a little bit.
2: Uh, maybe. <laughs> we yeah, might get into as I'm that sure later. <laughs> We'll unpack that as we go on.
0: That's right. So today we're going to talk about five of the most frequently asked questions that we hear from our audience on this topic. We actually get a lot of questions about this because people want to know um, not only how they can accomplish their own goals, but it's sort of intuitive you know, to leverage your marriage to do even more than you could do on, on your own. But most of us were never taught how to do that effectively.
2: Right. And and just for those of you that don't have the background on this, uh, we do a course through Michael Height company called Five Days to Your Best Year Ever. We've got a brand new book called Your Best Year Ever that's just out right now. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a lot of experience with this. We've had over 32,000 of our students go through that content, and we've got more feedback than we know what to do with. But these are the questions that come out of that feedback.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the first one.
2: Okay. Number one. So the first question is how do I get my spouse excited about goal setting? I mean, if we've heard this once, we've heard it a hundred times. We really have. People just aren't on the same page together.
0: Yeah, and that's probably because there's a hesitancy on the part of um, the spouse who is maybe not the goal achieving spouse by nature. And it's important to tackle that together. And one of the things I really recommend for people is that they don't come into this conversation from the perspective of they want to persuade or even worse, convince yes. their partner. What you need to uh, come into the conversation with is the goal of understanding. And usually, resolution is easier when you're clear on the problem. And mm-hmm. chances are you don't understand the problem very well. And this is not a conversation people are having very often, but it is a great opportunity to kind of go deeper with your spouse. So you want to uh, try to discover what the real issue is, where the hesitancy is coming from, and really listen for the answer. For example, oftentimes there's a hesitancy if you're not a natural goal setter or maybe an experienced goal setter uh, around the potential for failure. You know, the the kind of conversation in somebody's head is, well, what if I fail? What will you think of me? What if I'm not as good at it as you are? Um, Or what if it constrains my freedom? You know, I kind of like to fly by the seat of my pants and now I got to be in this kind of rigorous goal setting process. So they may think, "Um, that doesn't sound very fun. I just kind of like to let things happen as they happen, you know? So there there may be issues uh, that, that come up there that are important to understand before you launch into your um, totally. persuasive attack.
2: <laughs> yeah. And just kind of along with the, the point you're making um, about you don't want to be controlled or constrained, I don't want to be held accountable. You know, right. If oh, I, that's a
0: good one. Because
2: if I say out loud you know, what it is I'm trying to achieve. And then I start to fall short. Are you going to nag me? Yes. You know, and so, I'm already nagging myself. Right. Like I've already got this voice in my head, this self-critical voice. And so I don't need your voice, you know, piling on in the midst of that. Yes. So I think your point, I mean, this is like Stephen Covey 101, seek first to understand mm-hmm. before, what does he say? Trying, trying to, to be, be understood.
0: understood.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So try to understand the other person. I mean, this is just human nature. And I'll say that it's, it's, it's true when you're trying to sell anyone. On anything, mm-hmm. it's much easier. takes a whole lot less energy if you discover first what they want, yes, and then propose your solution as a way to help them get what they want, right? So this is why I like to start this conversation by talking about dreaming, not mm-hmm. goal setting. So when you start to ask the question, "What do you want for your life?" You know, what would you like to have for your health, or what? What do you dream about for our marriage, or what would you love to have happen in your career? And forget all the, you know, the the mechanics and the technology of reducing that to a goal, but just dream a little bit. Yeah. you know, Just open up the space and dream. Mm-hmm. That's a conversation that for most couples is maybe a conversation they haven't had since yeah. before they were married. right? Or maybe the first few years of their marriage. But for most of us, we let those, deem- those dreams die mm-hmm. incrementally a little bit every year.
0: Right, because your so, life is practical and you're yeah. just sort of making the day-to-day work and you don't pay make the bills. space. Yeah, you don't make space for those really important long-range conversations that drew you together in the first place. That's
2: right. And we got to understand what's in it for them. In fact, I often say everyone's tuned in to the most famous radio station of all time, which is WIIFM. What's in it for me?
0: That is so corny,
2: but true. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Are you saying I'm corny? Uh,
0: yeah. you Okay, dad humor. Yeah, dad jokes. King of dad jokes.
2: And you can fight that to your own peril yeah. or acknowledge the fact that the other person, in this case, your spouse... Is also asking what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. You can discover what that is, kind of, kind of excavate that reason, mm-hmm. and then go with it.
0: Yeah,
2: and it's and it's almost like that martial art of aikido.
0: Yeah,
2: where you use your opponent's body weight to kind of work against them. In this case, you're not trying to work against the person, but you're trying to kind of go with the natural direction of where the conversation or where their interests and needs already are. Yeah, as opposed to just bludgeoning them with evidence and arguments and trying to convince them why they ought to do goal setting. That's That's, not going to work.
0: No, that's the worst thing you can do.
2: Number two. Okay. The second question we often get to Meg is what if we have opposite approaches (laughs) to achievement?
0: We hear this all the time.
2: We do because somebody says, for example, look, I'm just a natural achiever. I'm a goal setter. My spouse could care less about that, Mm -hmm. right? So differences are actually a benefit. That's kind of how you have to reframe this and put yourself in the right position where you can appreciate your spouse, not resent them for being different. Now, the problem is it doesn't feel like it's a benefit, but it really is. Consider this. Gail and I are exactly the opposite (laughs) on almost every personality test. It's true. So like on Myers-Briggs, totally the opposite. When it gets to strengths and weaknesses, like the Strength Finders uh, test, my number one uh, strength—and this will shock a lot of people—is achiever. <laughs> I said it was shocking. Some people just
0: fell out of their chair right now. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. But uh, but in Gail's case, out of thirty-four strengths, number thirty-three for her is achiever. Amazing. Now here's another one: flexibility or adaptability. I think is what uh, Strength Finders calls it. That for me is number thirty-four. Me too. Really? Yeah. I think you're more adaptable than I am.
0: I don't know. I think I just have a lot of kids.
2: (laughs) I have more kids than you have. I know, but mine are still at home. (laughs) Oh, good point. Okay. So um, for Gail, adaptability is number one.
0: I can't even imagine what that would be like.
2: I know. That's a superpower. But here's the point. The point is that when it comes to Myers. Uh, Briggs, which, you know, that measures four different domains, right? right? We have all eight possibilities covered. (laughs) That's right. When it comes to strength finders, you know, I'm not very adaptable, but she is. Mm -hmm. So as a couple functioning together, we're stronger together. Yeah. Right? That's so true. And when it comes to Achiever, you know, then I kind of got that covered. Yeah. So this, again, is a difference. These are differences that are actually uh, a benefit.
0: Yeah, because you're able to balance each other, which is really one of the most beautiful things in marriage. You get to bring your unique gifts and your challenges to the table, but you don't have to do it alone. And that's kind of the whole point here. You know, when you have the benefit... Uh, the strengths of the other person, even if they're very different than your own, when you're trying to move toward uh, a list of shared goals or things that you want out of your life, I mean, the more strengths, the
2: better is, is true. Well, it's it's really why I like playing with the team. Yeah. You know, I tried to be a solopreneur for a while. And the problem was I was left to just my list of gifts. Yeah.
0: It's like a little limited palette of paints. You can only perfect. do so much.
2: That's a perfect metaphor. Mm-hmm. But now that I've got a team and we've got, what, almost 30 people now? Yeah you know, that's a big palette. There's somebody on my team that is an expert at doing something that I'm not particularly good at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's helpful. Well, it's kind of like for Joel and I, uh, Joel is the really steady, kind of stable one of the two of us. You know, I am kind of passionate and intense and My emotions can from time to time go up and down, and I can go down the deep, dark hole, you know, when it's not a good day. And Joel is just like the tetherball pole to my tetherball, as you told me when we were dating, (laughs) 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 which has proven to be only more true as the years have gone by. We've been married now nine years, and it's just such a gift because when I get down, especially when I think about a goal that I'm pursuing and I might want to give up, you know, he's able to say, Keep in perspective, no, 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 you're good, you're good, you know, just keep going step by step step. And conversely, I can give him kind of a shot in the arm when he needs one to keep going and, and have the the passion and drive that you know he might not have as much on his own. So it's cool.
2: Well, and the, and the point here again is that if we're going to make progress on goal setting as a couple, mm-hmm. if we're going to reap the benefits of it, we've got to reframe our differences. Yes. And not resent those. Or resist them. Um, or sorry. Or resist them. Or resist them. Right. right. But to embrace them. Yes. And see them as a good thing. Mm-hmm. Number three. The third question we get about couples pursuing their goals together is how can we support each other's individual goals? Now, this obviously assumes that you've gone through the goal-setting process, you're a little mm-hmm. further into it, you've, right. you've negotiated and navigated uh, you know the fact that you're going to actually do this together, so you're going to do it together, but now how can you support one another?
0: Absolutely, and this is where it really gets fun.
2: It does, and I've got a whole chapter dedicated to this in my new book, Your Best Year Ever, but it's so much better when we can pursue goals in the context of a community. Now, all the research shows that there are incredible benefits for doing this in a community. Mm-hmm. Trying to be the Lone Ranger, going at your own, yeah. you can do it, but it's, it's- Well,
0: some people can do it.
2: Some people can do it.
0: Yeah. right. Not, not everybody, because you, get, you encounter obstacles, inevitably, everybody does. And if you're trying to go it alone- man you're so vulnerable like I was just talking about myself you know to those bad days when you want to give up right. um, and, and a community helps that from happening
2: well and, and even in my case where achiever is my number one strength yeah man there are times when if I'm by myself I just have to kind of grind it out and yeah. it's just pure willpower and it's right. not very fun no
0: not but inside at all. the
2: context of a community I can actually enjoy it uh there are at least three benefits first of all learning mm-hmm In other words, we can learn a lot from our spouse. We can get feedback. It's a way of kind of validating our goals so that we don't go off track or we don't drift into the delusional zone, Yeah. you know, or we're not choosing a goal that's too comfortable. Mm -hmm. But but just the feedback that we can get from our spouse is hugely helpful. A second benefit is encouragement. Mm -hmm. This is huge because with goal setting and particularly with goal achievement, it's often three steps forward, two steps back. And so many people bail out when they suffer a setback. And that's, by the way, just the nature of goal setting. Sure. But you're gonna have some setbacks. You're gonna Mm -hmm. face some challenges. And the people that really win with goal setting are the people that persevere through that. Mm -hmm. And I would say people that in advance set up a support system. It's awesome if you can have your spouse to encourage you when you get discouraged. Yeah. I love this verse from the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor, for if either of them falls, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. And mm-hmm. so, to have that second person in place is a huge advantage to actually following through and accomplishing the goal.
0: Yeah.
2: Third benefit is accountability. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one that uh, we have to be careful <laughs> yeah. with. It's like a like a a knife that cuts both ways, yeah. right? It can be helpful if. We give the other person permission to hold us accountable. Yes. Otherwise, it can feel like nagging. Mm -hmm. So don't hold your spouse accountable unless they ask for it, and just be very careful how you do it.
0: Yeah, you can't want them to achieve their goals more than they want to achieve their right. goals. That's counterproductive in a whole bunch of ways. But it can be very powerful if it's uh, something that you've agreed on in advance and you know what it looks like to hold somebody accountable, because that's exciting. I mean, you're always there, so it can be um, a really helpful thing.
2: Well, and and we didn't really say this when we were talking about formulating the goals, but it's probably worth saying here, you got to make sure that each party in the marriage is pursuing their own goals right, and not a goal to please... The other partner, hmm. so like for example, I can't impose, you know, something on Gail that she doesn't want for herself, right? Right, and she can't impose something on me that I don't want for myself. I've got to want it myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so all these benefits are accessible in marriage.
0: They are. Uh, You know, psychologists at Carnegie Mellon did a study with more than 160 couples. They gave them a choice of doing a fun and easy puzzle or taking on a major challenge, which was giving a speech. When Andrea Williams reported on this study at michaelhyatt.com, she said, researchers wanted to know how the influence of the partner impacted the choice made by the decision maker. The opportunity was carefully designed to mimic real world opportunities, particularly rising to the occasion of apparent risk. The researchers found supportive couples were more willing to take on the risk. Hmm. Also, they found that those people reported greater happiness and well-being, better relationships, and more personal growth than those with less supportive spouses.
2: That's really interesting. Well, what about some practical ways to show support? How can we support one another at a practical level?
0: It's a great question. I think first of all, you can help your spouse dream big while they're setting goals. That looks like helping each other spot and overcome yes. limiting beliefs. You know, we talked about this before. I think in a number of different occasions, but those uh, limiting beliefs are sneaky.
2: They are because you can't usually see them for yourself. Mm-hmm. But once you develop some uh, proficiency or facility with this, yeah. you can spot them in other people pretty obviously. Yes, and I would say that almost daily, certainly every other day or so, you know, Gail and I are picking up on limiting beliefs mm-hmm. with one another. We just challenge that, and we've given ourselves permission, so it's right. not annoying. But we've given ourselves to permission to do that yep. because if there's one thing we've learned in our pursuit of goal setting and just achievement in general, is that limiting beliefs are usually the first thing that holds us back.
0: Yeah, we usually lose the battle in our mind before we lose it on the field. Joel and I do this too. Um, But we we look for those statements um, that are sometimes just kind of in passing that start with things like, I could never, or this is always, or what always happens is, or something like that. Global statements. Yes. And those are usually the kind of canary in the coal mine that says, you're headed into dangerous territory here, uh, and you need to start backing out before it gets worse.
2: Yeah. So we do the same thing. So another thing we could do is share helpful thoughts or resources. So if Gail, for example, finds a relevant article or a podcast that she thinks would be uh, helpful to me, she passes it along. And by the way, she does that on podcast episodes pretty frequently because Mm -hmm. when we go to the gym, uh, we do that together. We listen to podcasts and we're often passing those kinds of things back and forth and fun. forth and sometimes listening to the same podcast at the same time. Mm-hmm. So as a couple, just keep an ear to the ground for resources that would help your partner.
0: Yeah. And also, you want to be invested in your spouse's goals as much as your own. I it's, love this. I do too. It's not just about what I achieve as someone who has a set of goals, but it's also about about what your spouse can achieve. You know, we're in this together. We're one in marriage, and so uh, Joel's goals are my goals in a sense. You know, yeah. I, I want to be connected to those and care about those at the same level that I care about my own. And when we do that, it becomes powerful. You know, the other person feels supported. They feel loved. They feel known, which is huge. Um, so this is an important one to to really connect with.
2: And it's a, a it's a really practical way to serve the other person. Yes. You know, I really believe that in marriage, the best marriages happen when each party is committed to serving the yes. other person and helping them become the best version of themselves and, yes. and really achieving their dreams. Yeah. And so for me to know Gail's goals mm-hmm. and then to ask myself, how can I actually help her achieve these yes. are awesome. Like, like one of her goals... That comes very natural to her, but something that was on her heart as a dream was that when the kids uh, turned thirteen, when the grandkids turned thirteen, she wanted to take them on a one-week trip, something special for them, where we could bond together with them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not—that doesn't come natural to me. You know, in other words, the world of work comes natural to me. Building relationships, I hate to say it, is not like second nature to me, Mm -hmm. but it is for her second nature. So she had that for a vision. And the question for me was, okay, how could I make that happen? Yeah. How could I uh, equip her? How could I empower her? How could I enable her, resource her in a way that we could make that an extraordinary experience that the grandkids wouldn't forget? And we've done that now three different times. We'll do the fourth one this coming summer. And mm-hmm. it's an amazing experience. And I'm so glad that she had that on her goal list right. because I got to experience the benefit.
0: That's right. You have eight grandchildren. So you're going to be doing that for a while. Maybe more by the time you get to Eight so far, eight yeah. Number, exactly. number eight. <laughs> All right. So before we continue on our conversation, I want to pause just for a second and have you tell us about your latest book.
2: Yeah. I'm so excited about this. So my new book, Your Best Year Ever, just came out. And sort of the premise of it is this. We all wanna live a life that matters and reach our full potential, right? So we often find ourselves though, overwhelmed by the day to day. I mean, that's pretty much everybody's story. It's hard to make progress on these big dreams and goals when you just can't get the daily stuff done. So our biggest goals often get pushed to the back burner and sometimes forgotten. And I want you to know, it doesn't have (laughs) to be that way. You can focus on your goals and you can reach your potential even in the midst of a busy life, if you do it in the right way. And that's what I want to talk about for just a minute, my new book, Your Best Year Ever, subtitled, A Five-Step Plan for Achieving Your Most Important Goals. Now, this system is powerful. It's proven. There have been a lot of people that have gone through our goal-setting course, over 32,000 people at this point, but it's also research-driven. If you're ready to make progress professionally, grow financially, improve your health, invest in your relationships. Whatever your goals are for the coming year, Your Best Year Ever teaches the framework you need for success. And the best part? If you order the book before the end of January, and listen to me, this is important, you'll get hundreds of dollars worth of bonuses for free. You can find out more at yourbestyeareverbook.com. So, don't wait, claim your copy and make 2018 your best year ever.
0: Great. I hope all of you are gonna go check that out. Remember, it's your best year ever book.com, your Now let's dive back into our conversation.
2: Number four. Okay, so we've covered three questions. The fourth question we hear is a big one. What if our potential goals conflict? And this is uh, gonna happen for, yeah. for couples. By the way. The real advantage of this, Meg, is that when they conflict, it will um, give you the opportunity to have some of the most meaningful conversations true. you've ever had. Yeah. Now, I have this crazy premise, and sometimes it, it doesn't feel like this in real time, but that on the other side of conflict is intimacy. Yeah. And couples that will push through the conflict will get to that intimacy, but only if they push... Through it. So what that does for me is that whenever I have a conflict, and like I said, it's hard to recognize this in the moment, that that's actually beneficial mm-hmm. if I'll let it work for us. Because now we've got to have a conversation about something that's uh, obviously very important to both of us, yeah, but where we have a difference of opinion, a different mm-hmm. perspective, and that could be a good thing.
0: Yeah, because you need to get aligned around a common vision. Yes. You know, For example, if Joel had a goal that was to run six days a week at uh, 7am, that might mean that, and I also had a similar goal, but he didn't know it, that might mean that I would be taking the kids to school every day and therefore couldn't accomplish my goal. Like there would need to be some coordination around a goal like that, particularly around the timing of it, so that we could both get what we want. It might look like three days a week you get to do your goal at that time, work on your goal, and three days a week or four days a week, I get to do mine at that time, or something like that. You're just gonna have to think through it. And and it helps if you remember that you're on the same team, you know, totally th- that your spouse is not against you, they're not. Um, an obstacle to overcome these conflicts that can emerge in goal setting are just opportunities to help serve each other, work on your compromising skills, and move toward each other, and to remember that you're aiming toward the same end zone.
2: I, I had a guy um, that was in my mentoring group, and Joel, your husband, I remember this because he was in the same mentoring group. This guy had a goal of uh, doing the Ironman, mm-hmm. so that's like major training, major, like, literally. Like a job. Yeah, it can be like hours every day. Yeah. Well, it was okay because he was able to negotiate that with his wife. They didn't have any children Mm -hmm. and it worked okay. Yeah. But you take a infant and put it in the mix or a couple. Right. And you're trying to do that on top of a busy work life. You're basically abandoning your spouse. Right. And they're being forced to do all the childcare. So there's times in your life where that may work, but you've got to get aligned around a common vision and negotiate these conflicts. Our goals also should be relevant- and aligned to each other. And in fact, in the SMARTER framework, which I teach in Your Best Year Ever, individual goals must be relevant. That's what the last R stands for. So
0: what does that really mean though?
2: Yeah. Well, it, it means that they they have to be, uh, first of all, aligned to the season of your life, mm-hmm. like kind of like the, the example I was just giving. Right. They have to also be aligned with each other. Yeah. And if in the context of marriage they have to be aligned with your spouse. Right. You know, So I've got, and again, that example I just gave, I think it's relevant, no pun intended, but but it's gotta be relevant with your spouse's goals. Yeah. I can't be pursuing something at the expense of, of my spouse's yeah. goals. For example, in that case where I was talking about, uh, Gail wants to take that week in the middle of the summer to spend with our uh, 13-year-old grandchildren. If I had a goal that said, well, I wanted to take in that same month our sabbatical because we take a month off mm-hmm. every summer, that's not going to work. We've got to negotiate it. It's a small difference. Right. You know, one can go in one month and the other one can go another month, but they can't be at the same time. Right. So they've got to be aligned. And again, this gives us opportunity when we both have a set of goals to discuss the differences and get those aligned, our goals aligned with each other.
0: Yeah. Because, you know, the truth is, you just need to be looking for ways to compromise and give and take. Whether or not you do your sabbatical in June or July, honestly, doesn't really matter in right. your example. And it doesn't probably really matter to her if the grandkid trip happens in June or July, but somebody's gonna have to flex because they can't happen simultaneously. Yes. And so the the key here is to keep the big picture in mind. What do you really want to accomplish? Or in my example with Joel, you know, physical fitness is the main goal there, not that it happens at 7 AM or something like that. And so you want to look for ways that you can compromise without Ultimately, com- compromising your goal, if at all possible, or having your achievement come at the expense of something that matters to your spouse.
2: By the way, that's a hugely important point. Yeah, and I think it can be. Um, we can get so goal focused. Yeah. That we will sacrifice everything to achieve that goal. Yeah. And and that's a sort of a an unconscious way of drifting or being driven. Yeah. That's not helpful. It's not. And I think if we're committed to designing our lives. Not drifting, not being driven, but designing our lives that it's going to take exactly that kind of intention.
0: Yeah. All of our goals, uh, this is a good test, all of our goals should ultimately contribute to the health and well being of our marriage and the life of our spouse. And if they don't, you probably have a problem.
2: Well, and this is one of the big problems I have with, you know, the uber achievers. Right. You know, and I won't mention any names, but uh, well known people in our culture Mm -hmm. who are willing to sacrifice their marriages or their health in the pursuit of a career goal mm-hmm. or a business goal. And you know what? I'm not willing to do that.
0: Nope.
2: It's I, not worth it. I want it. the balance.
0: Yeah. Well, along the lines of how to compromise is looking for that third way. I don't know that we've ever talked about this on a podcast before, but very often when we are kind of trying to navigate a conflict, it feels like it's his way versus my way, or something like that. There are basically two options that we have to choose from, and somebody's going to lose. Right. But the the magic happens when we discover a third way that's a win win solution that accomplishes the majority of what both people need in in a way that neither of you might have thought of at the beginning. For example, um, you know, if one spouse has a goal to pay off fifteen thousand dollars of debt, and the other one has a goal to take two high end vacations, well, then what are some creative Creative ways that you can transcend those conflicting goals. You know, maybe use your credit card points for the vacations. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's probably a lot of different options.
2: Well, that. what I was thinking of, as you were mentioning that, I thought, okay, so what if we sequence these so we make the vacations the reward ah, in a sense for paying off the debt? I like that. So so to acknowledge to the spouse, let's say that you're the one that wants to pay off the debt, say, hey, I would love to take those high-end vacations. Mm-hmm. So why don't we do this? Why don't we have the goal? Do on paying off the 15000 in debt sooner than mm-hmm. the goal on the vacations and make it contingent upon us paying off that debt. Yeah. Now you've got all of a sudden both parties of the couple now focused on paying off the debt. Yeah. And then both parties of the couple get to enjoy the high-end vacation.
0: Yeah. That's a great idea. I love that.
2: Okay. We've already heard about Theodora and Anna talking about how a couple could work together accomplishing goals. Listen to what Professor Thomas Kidd from Baylor University, my alma mater, talking about a story about a historical couple who achieved big things together.
1: One of the big takeaways from my article is that I found that even spouses who are kind of in the background in terms of a very public spouse and a relatively private family-oriented spouse, still that that family-oriented spouse can make a huge difference on the public leader um, in some surprising ways. I think the, the best example of this is John and Abigail Adams. Uh, John Adams, of course, the second president of the United States and had this wonderful relationship with his wife, Abigail. It was a very traditional relationship in many ways, a colonial revolutionary America. The woman is not expected to have any kind of public role. Um, but not only was Abigail's relationship with John very uh, supportive and necessary for him in his political career in the usual uh, familial and emotional ways. But she also made a huge impact on him intellectually and even politically. Um, She really pushed him to think about issues I think he hadn't given much thought to before. Of course, the Founding Fathers tended to think of liberty as extending only to people just like them, elite white men. Uh, but Abigail was always trying to get John to think a little bit more broadly about uh, the implications of liberty, and so she, for instance, pushed him to think about, how how can we be talking so much about liberty when we have slaves in America? Or probably most famously, uh, she told John that she thought that as they were declaring independence and making the new code of laws, that they should remember the ladies, that's what she told him. Uh, at the time of the revolution, they should remember the ladies because women in 1776 were basically kind of legal non-entities. And uh, she was saying that liberty should extend to women as much as it did to men. And I think these are issues that on his own that John Adams just simply wouldn't have thought about. And so even though Abigail Adams is in many ways a very conventional, a colonial American woman and housewife and mother, um, she's able to make that kind of political, intellectual impact on him that I think helps to shape him intellectually too. And I really was struck by that about how even the most private spouse can make a big difference on that public figure.
2: Number five. All right, the fifth and final question we need to cover when talking about pursuing goals together is how can we hold each other accountable? Without irritating each other. (laughs) This is really important. (laughs) Well, we sort of mentioned it uh, before, but we want to unpack it now. You've got to begin by asking your partner how they want to be held accountable because it's not your job, you know, to sort of put on the badge. And become the goal police. Right. Right? Nobody uh, wants that.
0: Don't write us and tell us that that didn't work out well for
2: you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're telling you right now, okay. that will not end well. No. Okay? So you've got to tailor your approach to your preferences.
0: To their preferences.
2: Excuse me. You're right. you got to tailor your approach to their preferences. Yes. So they might say to you, and this is totally legit, I actually don't want you talking about it. I mean, Gail said that, that to me on certain goals. Yeah. She said, I don't want you to mention it. Yep. I don't, I don't want to report back to you. I want you to ignore this, and I said okay, because that's what she needed in order to accomplish the goal. But there's other times where she would say, "You know, I I I do need you to mention this to me occasionally, Mm -hmm. but it can't be in the context or in a way that's shaming. Right? Right? I don't need that. Yes. So here's how I want you to say it: Let them give you the words because. Shaming. If there's anything we've learned from Brene Brown, yes, is that when you shame somebody on their behavior, that's usually a recipe for making the sh- the, the behavior persist.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's important to agree on an accountability plan, which means that it might be nothing or it might be a lot or it might be somewhere in the middle. It can look like a lot of different things, but you need to agree on a plan and then stick to it unless uh, the other person says that it needs to be revised. So you could consider scheduling this as a part of your weekly review. So you just sort of add a little step to your weekly review process that we have laid out in the Full Focus Planner, for example.
2: And and the thing I love about that then it becomes a part of a larger process, Yeah. and you, it's not just sort of like ad hoc and feels like somebody's, you know, throwing a grenade over the 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 hedgehog. I I said, the what? <laughs> the hedgerow. <rope. laughs> so what? What you want it to feel like is it's part of a process. It's more objective. Yeah. It's not personal.
0: Right. So you could also do it as a part of a date night. You know, maybe you have some conversation questions that you normally work yeah. into that, um, and this could be a great part of that. Again, assuming it's been um, with mutual agreement uh, on that way of holding each other accountable before it starts, it's really critical.
2: Well, and one of the things you can do there that feels a lot less personal. If you can get the other person to say it and hold themselves accountable without yeah. actually having to say it, like you could say, like for example, at a date night, you could say, uh, so, hey, let's talk about our goals. How you, how do you feel like you're doing? Yeah. And let them talk about, it. you know, so, so I could or say, how do you well- feel like it's going? Yeah. Like I had a goal to work out uh, five times this week and, gee, I only worked out four and I kind of feel badly about that, but here's how I'm processing it. Yeah. Well, then you can jump in. I mean, the person's already held themselves right. accountable. You don't need to jump in and, you know- Beat him over the head with it. Exactly. Right. Another way that you can uh, do this, how you can hold each other accountable is celebrate wins together. Yeah. Love this. So one of the things that uh, Gail and I do at bedtime, we learned this from our friend and, and mentor Dan Sullivan, is we share our three biggest wins yeah. before we go to sleep. I mean, mm-hmm. literally our heads are on the pillows and we share our three biggest wins and then we pray together. Mm. But that's a great way to end the day. By kind of reframing the whole day. So if it was a day that didn't go so well.
0: Yeah. Which I mean, let's be honest. There are a lot of days uh, yeah, that don't go so well. Probably
2: a couple times every week. Yep. And you could focus on those things. And uh you know, for me, I can kind of keep turning those things over and over in yeah. my mind. Now by the I way, know where I get it. I learned <laughs> I learned a new term from the show The Good Doctor. You're watching that, right? I am watching that. I love that. It's so good. Do you remember when when Sean, Dr. Sean Murphy, uses this term, I think it's persevate?
0: No. Do you know what that is? I don't know what that means. Well, he's
2: he's autistic and he's he tells this patient, he says, I persevate. Now, here's what that means. That means that you keep turning on something over and over again.
0: Wow. Now once the stimulus is gone.
2: It. And so it serves him as a doctor because he actually Focuses on somebody's the the remedy to their diagnosis right. until he gets it right.
0: Unfortunately, I don't think you and I uh, are quite no. that productive. <laughs> per- Persevere
2: when you worry is right. not a good thing, or right. when you have a bad day. Yeah. So when you when you end the day with the wins, it gives you a chance to really focus on that mm-hmm. and to peacefully go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, Another thing you can do, and we advocate for this in Your Best Year Ever, I advocate for this, and also in the Full Focus Planner, is pre-select a reward for each goal so that you can celebrate when it's complete. Now, I'm not that good at this. Right. I've learned a lot from you, frankly. So, on celebrating wins, you're very good about this with the team. Mm-hmm. You're very uh, good about it with me. But to take the opportunity to celebrate that win and really mark it as complete, to kind of, you know, spike the football in the end zone and say, I did it.
0: Do the happy dance.
2: Do the happy dance.
0: I think this is important when it's a goal that maybe, um, you're really working hard for, but the the reward is not kind of inherent in the goal itself. Like for example, you don't need to have a reward for a goal like going on a sabbatical or some great trip. I mean that that is the reward. But you do need to have a reward or you might find that it's beneficial to have a reward for a big financial goal or a fitness goal or something else that's kind of like a grown up kind of goal, you know, that you sort of have to Wait a
2: second. Are you saying my (laughs) sabbaticals are not a grown up goal?
0: Well, I mean you don't have to like convince yourself to do that. You just that's that's all by Itself really fun, but you know, if you have a get out of debt goal, well, that's a grown up goal. I mean, that's a we have to make a good decision for our life because there's a bigger payoff at the end. So having a reward just kind of makes the payoff um, more apparent and concrete, so that you can work toward that kind of like a little carrot. So I love this idea.
2: No, I think that's a good point. That's a fair point. You know, as as hard as it feels like I have to work to to do a sabbatical, in many ways that it's a reward. Yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what's the work in that one. The work is planning it out, finding a place to go, get everything set up in advance so we can break free. Right. But you're right. I mean the goal is the reward.
0: Absolutely. All right. So today we've tackled the five most frequently asked questions that we receive about goal setting for couples. How do I get my spouse excited about goal setting? What if we have opposite approaches to achievement? How can we support each other's individual goals? And what if our goals conflict? And finally, how can we hold each other accountable without irritating each other? Very important. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) As we kind of get ready for our landing here, I'd like you to imagine what it would be like to pursue big things with your spouse in the new year. Imagine how great it could be to align your expectations, encourage each other, and in the year, having achieved what really matters most. It will definitely take effort. I mean, that's not a secret. But in the end, the result will be worth it. That we can guarantee. Yes. So dad, do you have any final thoughts before we end today?
2: Yeah, I would just you know echo what you said. It's totally, totally worth the effort. Mm-hmm. I would try this as an experiment. So if one of you is a little hesitant, mm-hmm. just frame it up as, you know, this is not something that we have to do for the rest of our lives, right. but just for this year, let's, let's try it. So how about if we read your best year ever together, and then we go through the exercises and see if it makes a difference. And if it doesn't, we'll never talk about this again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if it does, it could be a game changer. And we know for a fact, we've had thousands of couples that have done this. We have. That have come back to us and said, this changed everything about our marriage. I mean, we had some of the most important conversations we've ever had. Yes. We navigated some some things that have been conflicts for years without resolution. But in the context of a bigger goal, we saw that reconciling that was important yeah. and we were able to do it. So again, just to, to underscore what you said, this is totally worth it.
0: I agree. In fact, a lot of those same couples will choose to go away for a weekend, kind of do a little weekend getaway and go mm-hmm. through the goal setting process together. And that could be amazingly rejuvenating for your marriage. All right. As we close, I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. That's leaderbox.com. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes and a full transcript online at lead2.win. That's lead2.win.
2: Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. If you like the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about it. Also, let me encourage you to leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts. That can really help get exposure for the podcast, and we'd be grateful for it.
0: This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyde & Company, all rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski.
2: Our writers are Joel Miller, Mandy Ravicchio, and Jeremy Lott.
0: Our recording engineer is Matt Price.
2: Our production assistants are Mike Burns, Mike Boyer, and Alicia Curry.
0: Our intern is Winston.
2: We invite you to join us for our next episode, where we'll be discussing leadership lessons from the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Until then,
1: lead to win.